morning, church. It's nice to be talking to you live again. Uh, I think the last couple of times I've done recordings, it's actually nice to look at people. I um, don't know when I was last year live, Mike. Long back. A year ago? Yeah. Shows you, hey? He obviously doesn't like my speaking. We were praying against false teachers, and <laughs> but anyway. Uh-oh. Anyway, one thing about living in Zimbabwe, one thing that I've been taught as we've lived here is to expect the unexpected. Um, it's one of those parts of life of living in Zimbabwe, although nowadays I think we're so battle-weary that pretty much the unexpected is what we are becoming to expect. After many years of corruption and misrule and everything that's went on, basically, the unexpected happened. We got a new leader, didn't we? Everyone was so excited, so unexpected that this was happening. But what did we really expect? Did we really expect change? But we think we have it tough, but hear about the people in Jerusalem. Consider the history of Jerusalem. The first time it came into the possession of the Jews was when King David took over Jerusalem in around about 1000 BC. Thereafter, around about every 100 years or so, someone was pillaging Jerusalem. First the Egyptians, then the Philistines, then the Ethiopians, the Assyrians, and then the Egyptians again until around about 587 BC, when it was taken over completely by the Babylonians. The city was finally given back to the Jews by a decree by Cyrus in 539 BC. But it was only fully resettled by the Jews and reclaimed by the Jews when they set up their council in 410 BC. But only 70 years later, Alexander the Great arrived on the scene, and he defeated the Jews and took over Jerusalem. And after his death, the city became a pawn between two of his successors, being fought over and passed backwards and forwards between these two. Finally, the Jews had had enough, and in 164 BC, they took control of the city. They said, it's ours. But then internal results, set, uh, internal revolts set in. It meant that a century of infighting between Jews themselves for power took over. And then 100 years later, 63 BC, they were so vulnerable that the Romans stepped in and took over. Remind me never to complain about Zimbabwe. But why am I giving you a history lesson? Today's Palm Sunday, as you're all aware. The day when we remember that time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the city, the city that he wept over. He rode in just short of a week before he was finally put to death on that cross. So as we take the time to look at some of these events on Palm Sunday, some of the events that led to Jesus coming into the city, I want you to bear in mind that the occupants of Jerusalem were weary. They were downtrodden. They'd had a really tough run of it. They were tired. 
They were wanting change to come about. They were praying for the expected change that their prophets had told them about so long before. They'd seen life at its worst. Corruption, mismanagement, excessive abuse of the poor by the rich, a failed religious system with a failed puppet government. These people were weary. They needed a savior. And I hope that as we look at the story today, we realize that in our weariness, in our expectation of what goes on around us in this nation, in our tiredness, we realize that our only hope is also the Savior. But first, I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your incredible love and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your scriptures that can guide us and lead us. Indeed, they can teach us and rebuke us even. Lord, thank you that we can focus on you when all around us seems to be falling apart. When things aren't going as we would want them to go. We can trust in you that, Lord, you have our lives in your hands. And so, Lord, as we commit to reading the word today, as we commit to learning from the word, May you guide us and lead us and speak into our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please turn, if you've got your Bibles with you or on your devices, please turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 19 from verse 28. So Luke chapter 19 from verse 28. Right, hopefully you're there. Luke chapter 19 from verse 28. When he, that's Jesus, when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage at Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners came to them and they said, why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get onto it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Just that far for now, and may God add his blessing on our reading for today. So this whole story is told in all four of the Gospels. Many of you know what transpired on that day. It's a very familiar story for most people, right from Sunday school 
onwards, we have heard it. Today, though, I'm going to focus on some of the things that I would classify as unexpected. But from these unexpected events, we can take away some truths about our own walk with Christ, our own commitment to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first expected unexpected, if you wish, is the disciples' commitment to the word. Look again at verses 29 to 33. As Jesus approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and he said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left found it just as he had told them, and they untied the colt. Firstly, what is this colt that Jesus wanted, and why? The colt was the young of a donkey rather than a horse. When we hear the word colt, we immediately think of a horse. But this was the colt of a young mule, ass, donkey. Regionally, they were known as mules. It was a common sight in Israel, a very common sight in Israel. Many people used them for the transporting of goods to market. It was kind of the farm bucky of the day, if you wish. They even used them to plow their land. And there was a provision in the law to not harness your mule with an ox when you were plowing the land because of the unfairness of that harnessing. So they were around for a long time. They were very common in the area. I suppose pretty much like in our southern area, we see a lot of donkeys when we're driving. But in our northern areas, we encounter more goats and things running around. So it was a very common form of transportation in the day. It was literally one step up from a person carrying their own goods to market. Rural donkeys were very cheap in those days. But they were also a very strong, sure-footed and reliable means of transport given the mountainous terrain that they used to have to work in. But why did Jesus want one? He wanted one to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah 9 verse 9. Zechariah 9 verse 9 reads, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Riding of a donkey was not so uncommon for a leader in Israel. In fact, King Solomon arrived at his coronation on David's own donkey. That's in 1 Kings chapter 1, if you want to look it up later. So it wasn't uncommon for royalty to ride on a beast of burden. So what do I find unexpected about this particular passage? Jesus told the disciples to walk into a village, to look for a young donkey that was tied up, to untie it, and to bring it to him. Stock theft is a serious issue in any culture, isn't it? Was Jesus sinless because he got others to do his dirty work? Of course not. Of course not. And in the next section, we're going to discuss the taking of the cult in a bit more depth. 
But here at this point, I want to focus on the commitment of the disciples. On the commitment of the disciples to Jesus' word that was shown by them. They didn't even question Jesus about his instructions. He said it. They did it. How often are you asked to do something? And instead of just doing it, you can suggest several ways that it could be done differently or better or in a shorter time or with less effort. Or, and I'm sure most of you men are like me because that's what I tend to do, uh, especially when it's an instruction from Roz. <laughs> sure, there's a better way to do this, etc. Unfortunately, and speaking for myself, unfortunately, when I realize that God wants me to do something, I can spend more time debating and deliberating about it than actually getting around to do it in the first place. The first time was when God asked me to believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I debated, I deliberated for months. I fought for far too long. Eventually, when I gave my life to the Lord, I realized how much time I had wasted on trivial matters. My prayer is that all of you have heeded his call. You've heeded his call in your own life, and if you haven't, please stop wasting time. Please stop wasting time in pointless debate. Focus on him. Focus on who he is. Listen to him because he has the answers that guide us. He has the answers to guide you through the wearying times that we face. So we saw the expected response of the disciples, that is to serve. But it was a very unexpected request, go and take a cult. Let's turn to the next people that we see in the story where we'll find that there is actually consensus in service. Let's carry on with verse 33. As they, that's the disciples obviously, as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. And then they brought it to Jesus. Did you notice the unexpected part there? The colt was owned by someone that was expected. It's who it was owned by that is fairly unexpected. Did you notice there's more than one owner? Luke doesn't mean that maybe a husband and wife were the owners. Because unfortunately, in those days, women didn't have a legal standing. They didn't have the right of ownership. The cult was owned by at least two men. We're not told how many, but it's plural. So there was at least two of them who were the owners. Have you ever heard of timeshare? Usually something that happens when a person has excess cash. They might buy a share in a holiday home or a houseboat. They might even club together to get shares in a racehorse. But a donkey? Probably not. How many of you have got shares in a donkey? Very unlikely. But as I said earlier, the donkey was the farmer's beast of burden. 
often their means of transporting produce to market. A farmer would usually have at least one around for this purpose of transportation or plowing. So why share one? Why share a donkey? The only reason that I can think about is that they could not afford one on their own. Therefore, these people were probably fairly poor, which makes the disciples' actions all that much more disconcerting. Go and take a donkey from those poor people over there. So let's return to the actions of those disciples. Were they blindly following Jesus' command without thinking about the cost to the owners? Some commentators skirt the issue by surmising that Jesus had a prearranged password with the owners. The Lord needs it. But if that was the case, wouldn't it have been easier for him to say, go and ask Reuben for his donkey? I think the answer does lie in what the disciples said to the owners. But I don't think it was a prearranged password or signal. The word that we translate as owners and the word for Lord are exactly the same in the Greek, kurios. I think that the lowly lords of the lowly donkey recognized that the Lord of all of creation wanted to borrow one of his created beasts. And we see no deliberation or argument. We've got no record of the discussion of these owners. We don't know if they discussed amongst themselves as to whether they should or shouldn't give the donkey to the disciples. But the result is obvious because the disciples took the cult to Jesus. So there was consensus from the owners. Now, it's often hard to get consensus in our own churches, isn't it? When we hear of a ministry need, why is it so difficult to get the church to contribute to that need? Here, two poor men, at least two poor men, gave their possession to Jesus so that his ministry could go ahead. So why is it that I see so many churches today, so many rich churches in this town who are more concerned with their pastor's birthday present than they are with the ministry of Jesus? Consensus should not be unexpected when it comes to ministry. It's something we should expect to be able to do. So we've seen that we can commit to the word of God, even if he's asking us to do something unexpected. We also know that church consensus about ministry should not be unexpected. The third point I want to make today is that we should be happy to contribute to the needs of Christ. Let's read again from verse 35. Then they, the disciples, brought it, the cult. So the disciples brought the cult to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get onto it. And as he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. The owners of the donkey gave the colt for Jesus to use. The disciples used their spare clothes to make a saddle for Jesus' comfort. And any leftover clothes they used for lying on the road ahead 
of Jesus as he followed the route. Is this unexpected? No. No, not really, because they saw him as the coming king. These disciples knew that Jesus was the king of kings. And he deserved everything they had. And as you look at the story and read many others in the New Testament, one thing becomes very obvious. Those who take their faith in Jesus Christ seriously are willing to support the work that's done in Jesus' name. That is expected. What was not expected was the withholding of support. Ananias and Sapphira are one example in the New Testament. Unfortunately, the church in Zimbabwe tends to be different from the New Testament church. We seem to have it backwards. As someone who's in full-time ministry, I see this firsthand. Now, I can only speak from what I have seen, but talking to other ministries, I believe they have very similar experiences. Now, I know that some of you here are involved in ministries, and this is not a dig at any one individual. This is more a global statement about the church in Zimbabwe. But at Harare Theological College, we get very excited when we receive an unexpected gift from a church. Now, don't get me wrong here. We're extremely thankful for the gifts we receive to help us to continue our ministry. But why should it be unexpected? As a theological college, we've taught people from hundreds of churches within Zimbabwe. Some of those students have gone on to become heads of their denominations. Yet we receive regular support from three churches in Zimbabwe. We receive sporadic support from two others. Why does the church in Zimbabwe think that the training of church pastors and leaders is unimportant? We as a college have to seek support outside of our borders to keep going. And I know many ministries have to do the same. Jesus didn't go to the Romans for a horse. He went to his own people to support his ministry. Today we've seen how sometimes the unexpected can show us how to serve God better. We saw that the disciples were committed to the word of God. We learned that there can be consensus in service. We realized that the followers of Jesus can contribute to the needs of the gospel. And the story on Palm Sunday doesn't end there, of course. We don't have time to go through the full uh, counsel of that story. But Jesus went on to do some very unexpected things, didn't he? He did not ride in and take up the earthly, kingly role that was expected by the Jews. He didn't do that. It was unexpected. He threw out the money changers in the temple. That was unexpected by the religious leaders because they had allowed it to proceed. He taught the truth about God, which embarrassed the religious leaders. And of course, he allowed himself to be led to that cross. 
an innocent lamb to the slaughter. Also very unexpected. But why did Jesus do these unexpected things? Well, he did them for you. He did them for me. Jesus came to show us that there is a greater kingdom to be served. And that's the kingdom of God. Jesus came to show us that religion is dead if it does not include a relationship with him. Jesus came to show us that proclaiming the truth about God should not embarrass those who claim to serve him. And Jesus came to die, came to die on that cross for you and for me. And we are expected to believe this. And remember, if we as a church do not praise and glorify Jesus, then even the stones will cry out and praise him. So, if you are unexpectedly feeling challenged, that maybe you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus that you should have, I would love to talk to you after the service. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the reminder that you entered Jerusalem willingly, knowing what lay before you. We know, Lord, that as the events unfolded and indeed as we ourselves are focused on next weekend when we remember the crucifixion on the Friday and the resurrection on the Sunday, Lord, we know what you went through. We know, Lord, how you agonized. We also know, Lord, the teachings that you gave to your disciples of comfort, even though you yourself were facing that cross. Lord, I pray that we can continue to take comfort from your words, that we as a church can continue to look forward to the time that you will come again. Lord, that we can serve you with all of our minds, hearts, and souls. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe we're going to have some more music. Great.